Well, we've been in this series called Relevancy of the Ten, as we've looked at the Ten Commandments, and we've made it to number seven. We've kind of jumped around on the numbers. Uh, Daniel looked at number nine last week, and this week we're going to kind of go back and pick up number seven. But, um, and before everybody falls asleep as we look at number seven, let me just say this. It has to do with sex. So you're all wide awake now that I've, I've said about that. So what I've mentioned at the comment, or mentioned the topic, it has to do with this aspect of committing adultery. Exodus 20 verse 14 kind of lays it pretty straightforward and says this, just five words, it says, you shall not commit adultery, very simply. However, before we talk about all that, what does that mean in the context of this passage? What does it mean in the context of the broader uh, understanding of, of Scripture? Well, to commit adultery, in a biblical sense, it means very broad-scoped. It means to be unfaithful. Most often it refers to the, be, uh, to the unfaithfulness between a married person and, and their spouse. Whether that is in a human relationship or not. It also could refer to our faithfulness in regard to our relationship with God. And so, because oftentimes in the Scripture it talks about committing adultery in our relationship with God. That we find another God that we cheat on God with. And God doesn't want us to be cheaters. That's really what the passage is all about. That's what this is, the context of it is all about. He wants us to be faithful people, whether it's to the person that we choose to live our life with, or whether it's, whether it's um, our spouse, or whether it's God himself. God calls us to be faithful. However, the world defines that aspect of adultery in, in, in very narrow terms, and it talks about it just being sexual, in a sense. And it defines it as a voluntary sexual relationship between a married person and someone who is not their spouse. That's how the world defines adultery. But as I said, God, wants, God opens it up far bigger than that, as he has on all of the different ways, all of these different commands. God, God wants us to understand that it's bigger than just the narrow words and the definitions that we see there on the page, because even Jesus expanded upon that, about this aspect of faithfulness in a different way. Because to God, it's not just about being physically unfaithful, but it's also about emotional and mental unfaithful as well. It's an unfaithfulness of the heart to whether that is to God or another human being. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, verse 27. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus said, lustful thoughts, any thoughts, not between, just between people of the opposite gender, is adultery. Any kind of thoughts, lustful thoughts. And when, we, when I spoke about, about um, murder, or more broadly in a sense, virtual homicide, we saw it again that even there it was a matter of the heart. This was an issue of the heart. It wasn't just about the physical act. It was about the heart issue. And that's the root of the whole thing. But in our world today, the very mere mention of the word 
garners incredible attention. And why is that? Why does, it, why does the word sex garner so much attention in the church? Why does it garner so much attention in our world? Well, first of all, it garners so much attention in the churches because we rarely talk about it. Let's be honest. It's sort of a taboo subject. How do you talk about it in a way that is, um, that is that, that, that's not condemning? Because oftentimes that's the context of it. It's talked about in a condemning way. It's very taboo in a sense. It's, it's judging, it's critical, it's, it's very, um, it puts that whole area as a, a topic that is far beyond or maybe worse than any other sin that a person could ever commit. And yet, that's not the way God looks at it. He counts all sin as sin, whether it's gossip, being jealous, being arrogant, being gluttonous, Sin is sin. Sin is bad, and it's all sin. And before God, there's no levels of sin. It's all equal in His eyes. Those that commit adultery are not worse off than those that are a little bit arrogant, or those that lie, or those that cheat. It's all the same level. So when we, so, but, and yet the, yet the church has often made it a bit of a taboo subject, and we haven't really addressed it. We've been afraid to address it oftentimes, or talk about it. And oftentimes it's because we kind of have this mental ascent that it's somehow worse than any other of the sins that God has leveled, God's called us to. The second, the second reason why it garners so much attention is that our world is obsessed with it. Literally obsessed with it. It's, it's one of those hot topics that just, it's just everywhere in our world. As I've done a number of times before, as before we get too far, much farther into this, I want to go back and I want to remind us of the very context of how God gave the Ten Commandments to us. I want to go back to Exodus 20, verse 2, and I know it's getting a little redundant, and you've heard this verse many, every time I've preached, but I want to go back to Exodus 20, 20, verse 2, and I want to look at the beginning of how God introduces the Ten Commandments, because I want that to be, I want that to be ingrained in our mind as we look at this area. Exodus 20, verse 2. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God brought them out of slavery and he wasn't, didn't want them to go back into slavery. Yet if you think about it, sex is a very addicting behavior. It can give a huge rush, both very positively when done within the confines of marriage between one man and one woman, but it can also do that outside of that marriage relationship. I mean, if you just look at the numbers that our world spends on this particular topic, this particular area, it easily has become a god. Worldwide pornography is about $97 billion a year business. And the sex trade, some estimated at $180 billion dollars. Now, you combine those two numbers together, and according to what I could find out on the internet, that's the gross, the GDP output of Greece, the country of Greece, or the country of Hungary, or even the country of Denmark. That's a lot of money spent sacrificing, bowing down to one particular God in our world. 
And the interesting thing is, you talk about that, and you, you address that issue, and you try and teach it from a biblical perspective, and the moment you touch on that, it's like you're touching a hot button. Why? Because of the, that very issue. Sex is a God in our world. The problem is that it's, it's even grown beyond just that physical aspect. It's, gone, it's, it's, it's become even further into far more areas of our, our world. It has even become very much associated with identity, a person's identity and a gender identity and all that kind of stuff. And you mess with any of those kinds of things and people get angry. They get livid. But we see that on any part of our world. Anytime you mess with somebody's God or somebody's religion, they become angry. One person has said that the sexual freedom and gender identity is one of the major religions and cults of our day. It is a major religion or cult of our day. They also said this, they've allowed... We, we as people in our world or people have allowed sexual desires to define us, to determine us, and we have decided that they should always delight us. Therefore, many surrender to that regardless of where it takes them. You, you mix up that whole aspect with love and you mesh it together. And how can you argue with arguments that have to deal with that? Who wants to argue with love? Because love is the highest attribute. They even talk about it in the sense that, well, God is love, so what can be wrong with our definition of love? Whether we go out and have love or make, make love with a prostitute or someone else or just however sexually we want to be free because it's all about love. Yet we also see that sex sells, and it breaks up families, it causes questions and issues, it causes heartache, it causes problems, it causes brokenness, it causes all kinds of desires that we try to nurture and try to figure out our way through it, and we don't even know what to do with it. And surprisingly, at the end of the day, it's never enough. It never fully satisfies. It never brings what we hoped it would bring. No matter how much we chase after it, no matter how much we try to define it, because sexual desires were never meant to define us. They were never meant to determine who we are, nor should they always delight us. We are so much more than our sexual desires and our gratification. We are more than that. But our world has defined it and 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 and, and, and limited that as the, the most determining factor in a person's life. Desires, lust, love, satisfaction, feeling good, identity, rejection, acceptance are all connected and woven together to bring a huge confusion because they all get drawn and merged into group to become this God that, we are, that our world is bowing, downtown, bowing, bowing down to. Don't get me wrong. God has defined and said that sex is good in the right way. Within the parameters of how God has defined it. It's beautiful. He designed it. He created it. Fire is amazing. 
We all love fire in the wintertime because that's what keeps our homes warm. But fire within the parameters of a furnace and a, and a stove is awesome. But the fire left to itself, well, we've seen what has happened. We never went to BC this last week for a vacation because of fire. A fire that was out of control. My nephew's wedding got canceled because of a fire. And that's what happens when things get outside the parameters of what God has defined it to be. It destroys in more ways than we could ever imagine. Fire is not wrong. Sex, sexual desires is not wrong. But God has wanted it to be within the confines of how he defined it. And that's where it is the best and that's where, it is where God wants it to be. And if we let it to get outside of that, that it be, and, and we allow it even to get outside, even within the confines of marriage, it be, can become a God to us, and it can make us a slave. Yet God never wants us. He never wanted us to go back to Egypt. He never wants us to go back into slavery because we are more than the sum of our sexual desires. God wants us to find the right way, the way that he's defined it. But it's easy to become a slave to something that is, that, is, that is a feeling that changes, that is fluid, that is personal, that feels right differently for one person than it does for another person. And today I feel this way, but tomorrow I feel differently. And, and I want this person, or now I want that person. And, and it becomes this never-ending taskmaster that is never able to to survive. And truth is no longer black and white, but it's more like 50 shades of gray. And the search is unending, and it never satisfies. So where does that take us? Where does that take us? We have to go back to the way God defined it to be. This whole aspect of, and it, it's all wrapped up in that verse, do not commit adultery. It's all about this unfaithfulness unfaithfulness to God, unfaithfulness to the person that God has chosen. True satisfaction, complete satisfaction, lasting satisfaction can only be found in the person of Jesus. And that's where we have to start. No, none of us, no matter how articulate, can ever convince someone of the error of, their, of, of the choices they make. You can't. None of us can Try and convince somebody in this room that they should be a Flames fan over an Oilers fan. Good luck, right? And that's the whole point of it. We can never convince anybody to change their thoughts, their minds, and that's, that's, God's, that's God's role. That's God's way of doing things. God is the one who has to show and show people who they are and what he's calling them to be. What God does tell us to do is not to judge people, but to love people, to come alongside them, to care for them, and to accept them regardless of whether, regardless of the mess they've made of their lives or the choices they've made in their lives. or how They may not even see their life as a mess. That's okay. God just tells us to love them. And that is the one thing that we can do every time is to love people 
And we should love people. No matter what choice they make, no matter how they choose to live, God calls us to love them. Again, because there's no sin is greater than any other sin. Only God can change hearts. All of us have some sin in our life. And technically, we should all be judged for that sin. Whether it's gossip or gluttony or, or lying or cheating or whatever or anger or bitterness, we all should be judged for that. But we don't want to be judged for that. And often those kinds of things are often hidden. And we hide them because we don't want people to know them. And even as we all struggle with that, people struggle with all kinds of temptation. There's always a temptation to something. And each of us, we are genetically, if you might want to call it, predisposed towards one sin or another. Sometimes it's, a, it's because of family lineage. You know, our parents were, did a certain thing a certain way, therefore we act very similar to them. And we fall into the, the generational sin patterns of our parents. This is not about judging people. This is about loving people and caring for people who are broken. And that includes us. Because we all struggle with some things. We're all tempted in some ways. And we all need Jesus to bring us freedom in those ways from that area. And yet so often we love to tell God what, is, what we want and how we should live. And we've been doing that since the time of Adam and Eve. We've been telling God, this is what we want. This is how life should be. We have been defining life and not allowing God to define life for us the way we should live. We're telling God, when, is it, when does a partial lie only a partial lie? And when it's okay to justify lying. Or when it's okay to justify bitterness and anger. Or to delve into virtual homicide. Or when it's okay to overwork and not rest. Or when it's okay to elevate other gods above God. We like to define that for God. And that's no different in this area that we're talking about this morning. We like to define how it is rather than allow God to speak into our, to who we are and how we should look at life. We're so often trying to see how close we can get to the edge without going off, don't we? How close can I, you know, how close can I, you know, when does cheating really become cheating? When does lying really become lying? When does looking at a woman or a man really become lusting? When does being wise with our money uh, you know, or the pursuit of wealth, when does that, when do we elevate that to godhood? Like, that's, it, those lines are hard. Charles Spurgeon made this great quote, and I've been thinking lots about this. He said this. He said, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. That's discernment. Right and wrong, black and white is often easy. But right and 
almost right, that's a little harder. In our world with 50 shades of gray in so many areas of our life, it's hard to find the difference, the discernment between exactly what God calls us to do and what is almost what God calls us to do. And yet when we do almost what God calls us to do, that often leads us down a path that we should never go. That leads us back to slavery, back to Egypt. That leads us into pride and selfishness and greed and overworking and into sex addictions and things that we should never have anything to do with. And slavery is a cruel taskmaster. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying walking in holiness is easy. Temptation is a battle, and it's a battle for every area of our life, every area of our life. Whether it's a temptation to fear, to lie, to cheat, to steal, to overeat, any sin. Battling temptation is hard. And it is a battle. But God knows that. Listen to what Paul says about this whole thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish every, uh, to, to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we'll be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. If we got really serious about how God wants us to live and how we should act out and how we should deal with temptation, we should realize that temptation is a battle, that it is gonna be hard work every day. But God already knew that. Why? Because he sent Jesus into this world. Look at what Hebrews 4 says about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus was 100% man, and he knew temptation. He was a single man. And he never experienced sex. But you can't tell me he didn't battle with that. I'll guarantee he did. Because he was 100% man. He was God, but he was 100% man. And that part of his life did not, was, it was not erased from who, who he was. And so when Hebrews says he was tempted in every way I, you and I are, he had to be in order for him to overcome and to be the, the sacrificial lamb for us on the cross, the one that could pay the battle or pay for our sin. And that makes his sacrifice that much greater. He knew temptation. Listen to what Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He says this, No temptation, under, underline that, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. In other words, the battle you are facing has been experienced by others. You're not the only one. You are not alone. Others face it. It's common to mankind. And God is faithful. Here's, here's the good part, the good news. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. 
There is hope. God wants you to know, first and foremost, that there is hope. You have hope. There's hope through temptation. No matter which sin you battle, sexual desires may not be your issue. It may be something else. God says there's hope. There is hope. Second of all, he provides a way out. You are not a slave. You don't have to go back to Egypt. You're not enslaved to the desires of your heart, to the feelings that come on you. Because I've heard people say about all kinds of things, not just sexual desires, all kinds of ways. They said, that's just who I am. I'm an angry person. I'm a bitter person. That's just, that's just, that's how God made me. That's what I am. There is a way out. And God says he provides a way out if we trust him, if we look to him. Because we are not a slave forever. That's why Jesus came was to set us free. The third, way, the third thing he says is this, that the way out is often with the help of others. It's through humility. And I remember that no sin is worse than any other sin. So let's get honest with one another about the things that we're struggling with and let's come together and seek Jesus together in transparency with one another. Because that's the best way to deal with this. Is saying, hey, I'm struggling, I need help. It may be in some cases even going to find a counselor because sometimes things are, are a problem. It's also recognizing that sometimes it's generational patterns that have been, we've kind of been grown, we've, we've kind of been brought up with. And sometimes those need to be dealt with. Sometimes there's spiritual things that are attached to it. Sometimes there's demons that are attached to stuff. We don't often talk about demons in our world, but trust me, there are people that are demonized in our world and sometimes they even infiltrate our own lives because they, will, they are not giving up on any of us in this room. Satan's not, he's alive and well and he wants to destroy you and me and this church and everybody else. He wants to destroy our marriages. He wants to destroy families. And so he is going after every one of, uh, every one of us. That's why Paul also talks about that it's not the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. There's spiritual warfare going on, but we don't often think of the spiritual side of things. But we need to consider that. That's, again, why we need to pray for each other. That's why we need to come alongside one another. We look around us in our world. There are people that make choices every day that you scratch your head and going, why did they do that? All kinds of reasons. Maybe they were raised that way. Maybe they got themselves messed up in some other kinds of things. Maybe they got themselves involved in some kind of demonic activity. They opened the door up for some influence of the enemy, and that led them down the wrong path, and that's why the choices they make. Because sometimes it just doesn't make sense why people do what they do. Again, which leads us to the last point is, instead of judging all those people, God calls us to love those people. God's job is to bring conviction. God's job, God is the judge, not us. He calls us to love people. But we've done oftentimes a very poor at that. Because we love to sit and judge. We love to elevate ourselves and think, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't struggle with that sin. 
but we don't tell them what sin we struggle with. God tells us to be open arms, to love people, regardless of what choices they make, to love on them, to come alongside them, to be friends with them, to care for them. Because Jesus is the answer. He has the solution. He has the way through the, through, the, through the maze. He has the way to help us overcome the temptations we face, no matter what temptation it is that we face. And only Jesus can truly complete us. We cannot become complete by coming and identify, by connecting with another, uh, another person. Even in a married relationship between one man and one woman, it's God said it's one man and one woman. They have to be whole before they're married. If they're, being half a person is not going to, coming together is not going to make them whole. And so often our world is obsessed, and even sometimes in the church, we're obsessed that feeling somehow we have to be married to be whole. And that's not what the Bible teaches. It says we have to be whole in Jesus and in Jesus alone. And we have to celebrate that. It's okay to be single. It's okay to have battle desires and knowing that we can never, they can never be fulfilled in the way that we thought they should be. Only Jesus can make us whole. Only Jesus can complete us. Because He is the one who really brings freedom. He's the one who takes us down the path towards wholeness and freedom. He's the one who's brought us out of Egypt in bondage, no matter what the bondage is, no matter what the temptations. He's the one who can lead us forward. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you care for us, that you see us, that you know us, that you love us. And God, we battle all kinds of temptations. And our world is struggling so bad and has elevated this particular topic to, to an nth degree of worship where even mentioning it in the wrong kind of terms can mean annihilation and, and cancel, being canceled from our culture. And God, we as a church have been so critical and judging of people in this one area and, and have elevated it to far beyond what you have called it to be because to you, sin is sin. And God, we're all at the same level because we've all sinned. We all need you. We all need you in our lives. We all battle temptations, all kinds of temptations. And God, today I pray that your spirit would come upon us and help us to sort through the maze of the gods that we have elevated, of the excuses that we've come up with, to find who you really have designed us to be in you, to be the best person that we ever could be. Because God, you designed us to be that. And, and not to allow our, our desires and, our, and our, our past generational family history and, and habits that we've created and all that kind of stuff to define who we are 
And sometimes, God, we just wave the white flag to those things and we just surrender to those, to those gods that we've elevated, to those temptations, to those desires, to those weaknesses that we face. And we're just going, God, I, I just, I, I can't do it. I, I, there's no way I can live holy. Yet, God, you call us to take a stand. And not by ourselves, but with others, with other members of the body of Christ. God, that's why life groups are so critical to the body of the church. That's why, you know, we, we need to get together to encourage each other, to help one another, to, to battle some of these things, to sort through these issues together. Because God, humility is one of the, is, if there's anything that's probably a God that's, that we all battle, God, that's it, is, is the whole thing of pride and humility. Because God, none of us want to look bad in front of others. None of us want to admit that we've failed in any area. But God, help us to be transparent with one another. Help us to, to draw together, to, to find people of, that we can connect with and that we can associate with and that will pray for us and come alongside of us. And God, that we can do the same for them. That we can encourage them and support them and help them in these days. Because God, the temptations of our world are only going to get stronger if we let them. But in you, God, we can be free. We can be truly free. God, today, we surrender our heart to you. Change us in whatever way you choose to change us. Because God, we don't want to be slaves to anything but you. Because you are a kind and gentle and loving God who wants the best for us. Who does not demand more of us than we can give. Who will not allow us to face temptation beyond that which we can endure. No matter what that temptation might be. God, we surrender our hearts to you today. Holy Spirit, give us hope. Give us peace. Show us the way through the wilderness to find freedom in you and complete satisfaction and wholeness in you because you alone are the God who loves us. And so God, we give ourselves to you today. And God, help us to love those around us, those that are different from us, those that have made poor choices or bad choices or different choices than us. Those that are on, maybe the, that our world would shun or call unlovable. Or, and God, that can be all kinds of spectrums of people. God, help us to love people the way you love people. Because you care for everyone, you love everybody. Meet us today, Jesus. Meet us today. God, as we spend a few moments in silence now and just reflect on the issues in our own personal life as we are prepared to be dismissed, God, help us to, to breathe in you and to breathe out our own frustrations, our own emotions, our own arguments, our own desires. God, we want 
to meet you today. We surrender to you. Not just today, but tomorrow, the next day, and the day after that. God, we commit ourselves to you this day now. In Jesus' name, amen.